welcome everybody to the Business Geeks podcast. I am your host, Super Joe Pardo, and I am joined by my awesome two co-hosts over here, Jennifer Crawford of Sparent.co. How are you feeling tonight, Jennifer? I'm good. I'm tired. I've been up since 5 a.m. and I am not in the 5 a.m. club. <laughs> not joining. <laughs> I do not want your membership. Oh, that's come on. Getting up early is, is not so it's not so bad. Just gotta do it more often. It's, you gotta put the wraps no, in. That's for aliens. No. Like, <laughs> I, I usually get up at like six thirty. That's no that's fine. Five AM so, is silly. <laughs> so silly. what is Jennifer saying about us, Joe? What is she saying? She doesn't she, want to be part of our club. Uh, no. You know, I'm five, not even part of the club half no. the time. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to be. Like yeah. it's hard to it's hard to make it consistent, but I'm try I'm trying. I try to get up by four before between four and five. Oh, morning. you guys are in winter. That's hard. I'll, I'll give you that. It's hard in winter to get out of bed. It is. It's still <laughs> dark out. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> still night. <laughs> and we, yeah. I'm also joined by Samantha Riley of SamanthaRiley.global. What's hey. up, Samantha? How you feeling? I'm feeling so awesome today. It's good to be back here again, geeking out with you guys. Oh, like lies, like what, like lies, like wise. Uh, <laughs> man, it's going to be a long day. Wow. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and I am, am Super Joe Pardo, superjoepardo.com. And today we're going to be talking about strategic partnerships to grow your business. So if you have any questions while we're, while we're chatting about, uh, strategic partnerships. Uh, throw that in the Facebook chat if you're watching this live. And if you're not, send us your questions at questions at businessgeekspodcast.com. So who who wants to start out this, this? I know both of you have notes. I, I came ill prepared, but I did oh put gosh. in a bunch of stuff in the sheet in the worksheet this week. So I don't feel Absolutely. too bad. Thanks for your link. <laughs> You nope. put up one link. <laughs> yes, I read an article. All right. Yeah, all the heavy lifting there, Joe. All the heavy lifting. Um, I, got, I got a kid in each arm. There's a lot of heavy lifting going on you've over You've been up here, since 5 a.m. I think you'd get more accomplished. Yes, yeah, I would think so, too. <laughs> I'd also like to just small point of clarification. We're not talking about strategic business partnerships. We are geeking out about strategic business partnerships. And the reason we're geeking out is because they are so powerful. They are such an important tool in your arsenal of business growth and they don't cost you any money. So why aren't you doing it? We're going to find out about this. Maybe people don't know how to do it. So that's why we're talking about it today because could could not agree more. (laughs) It is the most powerful business growth strategy, period. The end. See you you next week. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, bye. (laughs) Well, why don't we start out? What what does strategic planning or strategic planning, strategic partnerships look like to begin with? Because it sounds... It sounds scary, right? Because we we as business owners, we we like see a lot of people as competition and and I know I definitely know how Sam feels about it. It's not a thing. Like it shouldn't really be a thing. Yeah, well let's let's start with a definition of a strategic partnership. So let's start there. Uh, a strategic partnership can be defined as a mutually beneficial contractual alliance between two businesses and it can give entrepreneurs a competitive edge and help them increase the bottom line in innovative ways. Wow, there was lots of big words in there. Well, I that's, copied that's very geeky. It. It's not my <laughs> 
on the internet. <laughs> I Very would have used geeky. Smaller words, but you know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure where to start here. I I, I did want to like maybe mention an example of a strategic partnership that we might all be familiar with, and it's a strategic brand partnership, and has to do with the the cereal that you eat for breakfast and that toy that you find inside. So there's the cereal brand who has partnered with the toy manufacturer puts the toy in the cereal. So it's giving the the customer a a little extra delight in their experience eating the cereal. It exposes the toys to more uh, potential customers. And um, so it's a win-win for everybody, right? It's a Mm. win for each brand and it's a win for the customer. Cool. We've got an awesome strategic partnership in Sydney, in Australia. The Grounds, which is a, like a a cafe, but when I say cafe, it's, it's huge. Huge. It's got different areas. It's got outdoor areas. It's got halls. It's got restaurants. It's just this massive area. And they've done a strategic partnership with Disney. So every time a new movie comes out, they do an installation and they completely change this whole area that's the size of a suburb to whatever that Disney uh, movie is. So their hmm. Aladdin Disney installation, like, and I'm talking huge, you walk in and it's all, you know, it's purple yeah. and all the food and the drinks are all inspired by the movie and the, everyone's dressed as characters. And it's just, it's such a cool strategic partnership because the Instagram just blows up every time there's a new installation. And it's just so clever. That is really, it sounds so cool because it's very experiential, right? It's not just... Uh, it's not a flat or one or two dimensional experience. It's a full three dimensional dimensional experience for those those brands. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I would add like you know McDonald's and uh, and and Burger King, all the all the toys that they give away, yeah. the uh, commercials where they're like, hey, there's this movie coming out, and it's like, but it's really like a Tide commercial. But it, they're using the characters from the movie or, or scenes from the movie to promote it. Or, or even like uh, I've seen like like even like appliances, like having movie tie ins and things like of that nature or laptops for that matter. Uh, like when the Spectre came out from the James Bond movie, like, the, you know, HP was all over that. We're going to have, you know, these commercials for a laptop that James Bond is going to use. So, yeah, strategic partnerships can be. uh I, and I guess at that point, like they're sharing the load of the cost of those commercials, I, I would mm. think, I th- which is positive. I think that the biggest thing that you need to know before you start these strategic partnerships is who are your ideal clients and who else shares those? Because we've all shared some really big strategic partnerships and some people that might be watching is like, well, that's really great, but I don't have the, you know, the budget to be putting in a whole Disney installation or putting out <laughs> toys in cereal boxes. So. So I did a strategic partnership with someone at the end of last year that you all know, Brent Basham from Podit. So Brent has got a, a platform where you can go and register to get podcast interviews or reach out to pod, to be a guest or to have guests on your show. Now, my audience all are thought leaders that they're all increasing their visibility. So being on podcasts, whether it's their own show or other people's shows is very, very high on their agenda. So I did a 
a strategic partnership with Brent in that he sponsored one of my five-day challenges in my Facebook group and everyone that participated got to go into a draw to win an account on his platform. And that was a, um, it, it didn't cost either of us money, but it was a really great way how we sort of came together and went, how can we work together to um, to put each other in the spotlight? Oh, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, I got really uh turned on to strategic partnerships with my first business. And again, I was, I didn't call it that. I didn't know that's what it was, but I had a pet sitting and dog walking company. And so the bread and butter of that business was midday dog walks, believe it or not, because it didn't depend on people's vacation schedule. It just depended on people working. So we walked about 300 dogs a day, Monday through Friday. And one of the ways we got to that many uh, accounts is that I approached apartment buildings that were dog friendly and I offered them discounted dog walks because we, you know, could get multiple accounts in one place and sold the benefit to them be very easily because they didn't want their uh, residences ruined by these dogs who were left home alone all day. So this, you know, would ultimately lower their cost in terms of carpet replacement and board dogs being destructive or barking and disturbing other people. So they were happy to contract with us to provide midday dog walks for their, for their residents and also gave their residents an extra like uh, amenity. So, um, so that was like one of the, the you know, the smartest uh, partnerships that I've ever done, like probably one of the more profitable ones because it really funneled a lot of business through, through us. But we also had to really nurture that relationship and take care of it, right? Because we had to make sure that we, the people that we provided to do those walks were, you know, the best people. And so that we could keep that account and keep that relationship healthy. So mm -hmm. it, yeah, but I liked it. It's, I think it's a good example because if you're, you're out there and you have a service-based business and you're looking to secure more accounts, think, think of a bigger, like if you're a cleaning company, like maybe there's a relationship that you can um, establish with some sort of niche group of people. Anyway, so that's, that was my, probably my very first strategic partnership. And then I've just looked for them. It taught me to look for them along the way in my other businesses. I was going to throw my hat in the ring there. I mean, one of the new, uh, one of the, the strategic partnerships, uh, I, I don't know, I guess it's, it's not super direct, but one of the things like, so we do uh, at Pair Shop, we do uh, work for enterprise and like the car rental, but we on the truck side. So, you know, having, having working with them like side by side on getting the trucks repaired, like that's, you know, one thing, but I think where the strategic partnership piece comes in is where they have their customers with their trucks that are running long-term come directly to our shop and have an experience with us because of enterprise telling them to go there versus mm -hmm. like, just like, oh, you dropped the truck off at Enterprise and Enterprise is taking somebody to drop the truck off at us. And then they never actually see us. Like we have, you know, quite a few of their customers that come directly to us for, you know, for their services, you know, on, on Enterprise's behalf. So it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like it doesn't always have to be a super direct thing, but it, it's the ability to have that that trust uh, from a brand that, you know, gives you that that power. Yeah, absolutely. It's that transference of trust that is the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's essentially, as, you know, we talk about sales funnels all the time and we typically, we talk about them in the online space, 
but these are sales funnels. These are sales funnels. I mean, that's, Mm. you know, it's just that you're, you're creating them in a different way. And I would argue a more reliable way. Mm. So for people that are listening, I think that, you know, we've already shared quite a few case studies and we'll share more to really get you thinking outside the square. But I think the very first place to start, and I believe that every business can do strategic partnerships, but the first place to start is think of the people who service your clients or customers before or after you see them. So if I was selling uh, wedding dresses, for example, you know, I could think that where would a bride go before or after? There's there's venue, reception venues. It might be personal trainers, hairdressers, florists. You know, it's thinking about all of the other people Mm. that they see in that experience and, you know, how can we go and work with those people to provide a mutual benefit? And I think that's the next piece. There's got to be a win-win situation there. And Jen, you alluded to this before, when we can share the benefits that we're providing that takes away a problem, that's very, very easy to do. So the very first strategic partnership that I did was when I owned my retail dancewear store. And one of the biggest things I saw in the first few months, and I knew this because I was also a dance teacher, one of the most frustrating things I noticed was that teachers would have their students turn up in all sorts of weird and wonderful and wacky attire that wasn't part of the uniform or it wasn't conducive to them learning, you know, having the right attire. So what I did was reach out to all the other dance studio owners and said, I know that this is, you know, or is this a problem that you're having? Is it frustrating you that your students are not having their shoes fitted properly or they're not coming in the correct uniforms? And what we did was we created a sheet for every single teacher on the way that they liked their students' shoes fitted, the colour, the style, everything that we possibly could. So that because we took away this problem of them spending time in dance class explaining this, you know, to parents, we took that problem away and said, what? don't you just tell your students to come straight to us and we'll do all that for you. So it was knowing who our customer saw before they came to us and what are the benefits that we could provide that strategic partnership that took away a problem for them. So I think that's the very first two things that you really need to to notice and, you know, those benefits, opening up the conversation. What problems do you have and how can I help? That's so smart. It reminds me of if you go into like a Staples, like an off, yeah, Office Depot right before school starts, um, you, they'll hand you like the school supply list for your school mm-hmm. and, you know, the shopping list. And so it's easy for the parents, win for the parents. It's a win for the school because the school um, has students showing up with the things that they need to you know, have an education. And then it's a win for Staples or Office Depot because they are selling those supplies and they're making it easy for the parents to to purchase them. So it's kind of the same thing. You were you were so ahead of your time. So smart. I, I was so smart and I didn't even know I was smart. I had no idea that I had a special <laughs> word. I, I just did it and went, I know. Oh, it's I hate it when I'm smart and I don't realize it until like decades later. And you're like, decades later, I realized I was smart. 20 years ago, I had a moment. Totally missed it. Oops. Oops. Um, well, I have a, um, a strategic partner that, a partnership that uh, is recent in my business, Sparent. And 
what was happening with us, we provide virtual assistant services, as um, some of you know, but um, we'd have these overwhelmed business owners who were coming to us just completely overwhelmed and their systems were kind of a mess to begin with. So we could help them, but um, it really wasn't in our wheelhouse to kind of reconstruct their systems and processes. Um, but I met Mary Sue, who's often a, um, a watcher of <laughs> listener of ours. I met Mary Sue who has a company called Work Smarter Digital, and that's exactly what she does. She helps businesses turn their manual processes into digital ones. So she helps them automate using digital tools and she works directly with them to streamline all of their systems. So, um, so anyway, we we're, were working with her kind of informally where we would send clients whose systems were a mess. We'd send them to her first, she'd straighten them out. And then when they did hire us, um, hire Sparent, their Sparent hours were used in a much more efficient way. So recently we did something more formalized where we have a package called a, a quick start, Sparrow quick start, which includes a package of virtual assistant hours, but it also includes a 90 minute intensive with Work Smarter Digital to outline their, their processes and come up with specific digital tasking for the Sparrow. Um, so they work with her and they come over and work with us and they get up and running really quickly. So, you know, that's, we're so excited about that because it's again it's the triple win it's a win for spirit it's a win for work smarter digital and most importantly it's a win for the customer and mm. so anytime that you can form a triple win as opposed to just a win-win <laughs> um it, that gets me excited i always try to make make sure everybody involved is winning I think that there's a piece there, though, that maybe people may have even missed is not only is it win for you uh, and the and the customer and Mary Sue's company, I've already forgotten the name of it. I am so sorry. Work Smarter Digital. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks I love for that name. The gaps there. Tells me exactly. Right? Why did I forget that? Seriously, I do have smart moments twenty years ago, but not today. Um, but that not only are they winning, are you all winning now? But that's also reducing the churn and increasing customer retention. So that's actually another win again, which is another way to really look at it. It's not just a win for you to get more clients or to get publicity or you know visibility, but how can you increase your customer retention or how can you increase your lifetime customer value? There's so many different ways that you can do these um, partnerships. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think the one thing we did right is that we thought of the customer first. We really did not think, oh, how can we make more money? That really wasn't the the driving force. We were we were both both um, Sparent and Work Smarter Digital. Um, when we talked about this partnership, it really the customer really was in the forefront of that conversation. And I think that's the way it's got to be. You've always got to work in the best interest of your customer and um, put that first. And then I think the, the partnership um, is going to be much more successful. Mm, 100% lead with value. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So when it comes to, let's talk like even smaller, 
like okay. partnerships, like looking at uh, like have have either of you partnered up with somebody who is your competitor in one way or another? So like an example of this, we do these like DPF cleanings and for these big trucks and we've we've done them since it, it was became a thing back in 08. And uh, we've done, you know, deals with some of our competitors because they didn't have the machinery. You know, it was like a big forty thousand, fifty thousand dollar layout. And back then there wasn't a whole lot of vehicles that, that had these filters on the trucks yet. So we, we did these types of, of things where we gave like super discounted rates to help, you know, even though it's kind of helping our com- competitors, but it, in a way, you know, it's still bringing the business to us and allowing them to have some kind of level of service as well for them rather than just turning people away. Yeah, no, it's, that's a good point. And I, and I like that example. And, well, yep. There you well, go, Brent. Keep your enemies closer. Yep. <laughs> right. what you did there, yeah, Brent definitely. It's right. Because it, it gives you that opportunity to, to have that have those conversations with people that you wouldn't necessarily. Right. Take any opportunity you have to turn it into a positive and, and to open doors that might not be there because you, you just don't know, even though you, you might be direct competitors in some way, shape or form. I mean, a great example that on a bigger scale is like Apple and Samsung, right, competing on uh, on phones like no, no tomorrow but there's parts that are samsung parts in the apple phones so it's a thing that exists in in on a greater scale and you just have to to realize that like you know even in your your microcosm of a of a you know community or or maybe bigger than a community you have to be able to to work together i mean we we've done things where um we we've done like big buy-ins and stuff like that for for like trailer loads of parts uh, where we 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 instead of us just buying every the whole trailer load because we couldn't use the whole trailer load, we used the discount and then distributed the parts out of that trailer load to other to other people in our buying group and things of that nature. So they might not be like right in our backyard, but they they might be in the you know the east coast where it's easy to get those part that break that trailer load up and and get it delivered. Well, speaking of east coast, Joe, yes, we could argue that we are competitors because we that both, is true. We both <laughs> produce a podcasting conference that happens in the fall. Uh, we're only a couple of hours apart. Uh, our audiences are similar. A couple of months apart too, because you're like apart. end of October, beginning of November, and two I'm months, two hours apart. September. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so. You know, I guess we could easily have become frenemies, Brent. Like I'll use your <laughs> hashtag there. Um, but we've all we I, I've never personally felt that way. Um, you're one of the first people I reached out to when I started my conference because I had no idea what I was doing and I was so scared. And you were so kind to like Aww. you know be supportive and share your experiences with me, uh, which was nice. We could commiserate because we we're experiencing so much of the same things, um, and we've stayed friends to this day. We promote each other's events. We attend each other's events. We now have a podcast together. Ooh, so, <laughs> and nothing's ever been formed. We've never had to formalize anything. We've just, you know, c- came at it with a. A, an abundance mindset, as they say. Mm. So this is the big yeah. open hearts. Open, <laughs> open hearts. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? You're talking about competitors, but I think that even two people that have got a similar, uh, even if they offer a similar service or a similar product and they serve a similar audience, 
they're still going to attract different people. Mm-hmm. But you talked, Joe, about Samsung and Apple. Like most people are either Apple or Android, right? So they're both after the mobile phone market or they're both in that same market, but they're not really they're not really competitors, I don't think, because I think most people would choose one or the other. So I get what you're saying, but this is where you have to think outside the box a little bit and think how can we, you know, make more money or how can we add value or whatever it is to be able to work with our competitors. And I know that even if all three of us did the same thing, we would do it very differently. We would have our own genius zone or skill set that's very different. I know, I know Joe and I think extremely differently. (laughs) And we're going to attract different customers. So by actually coming together, we're actually helping more people find their place. Well, in the, in the case of Apple and Samsung, right? So Samsung is a hardware company. They're not a software company versus Apple is a software company. Even though they make their own hardware, that's not really their their business. Their business yeah. is in the software that goes on it. So it, it's really two different strategies that coming at it. And and yeah, you, you either are Apple or, or Android because there really isn't any other option at this point uh windows phone is no more again for like the third time in like 10 years and palm doesn't you know web os isn't a thing except on like lg tvs and you don't have an option blackberry is mm. no more that's an that's a form or flavor of android so you you just do not have another choice out yeah. there i had an experience recently that i thought could be a potential strategic partnership but not for me Mm-hmm. Um, let me preface this by saying that I know that Uber and Lyft have partnerships uh, with Toyota and GM, respectively, to lease cars to Uber drivers. Okay, so that already exists. But the experience I had recently in an Uber is I was picked up, Thor and I, my husband, were picked up by a, an Uber driver driving a Tesla, um, which the one that's the SUV, this, I, the, uh, X. the X, the Tesla X. Now I'd never ridden in the, this type of vehicle. It's got the, you know, the wing doors, you know, all the technology. So we get in and we're just obviously like fascinated. And the first thing he says to us is I'm happy to answer any questions about the car. People are curious. and I love talking about it. Oh, so we, so cool. we started asking him all these questions and he's like, super passionate. He's, he is selling this car. By the time 20 minutes later, I'm getting out of that car going, I want, I need an $80,000 Tesla. I don't, I don't need an $80,000 Tesla, but I, he got me so jazzed for the car. And then I started thinking, wow, like this could be something where rather than market cars to the Uber drivers, Uber and Lyft could market their cars to the actual passengers, Mm. like lend out some brand new um, loaded with feature, you know, vehicles, maybe like for a month at a time. So they don't get too road weary and give the drivers some talking points and some buyer incentives and then give the drivers a commission if they actually move the vehicles. You know, I, I actually like that idea as a passenger because it's kind of cool to sort of ride around in a new car and get to know it and its features without the pressure of like a car salesman situation. Plus I'm in a nicer car as a rider. I'm not in the back of a Toyota Corolla, most uncomfortable back seats ever. But oh my God, Toyota, put some cushion in the back seat. I mean, how much could that cost? Uh, oh my God, my God. Oh my God. But so I, you know, I'm just dreaming of these partnerships that don't exist, but I think that would be kind of a smart one. Well, you know? here, 
here's, here's a oh go ahead, yes, Sam, awesome. sorry. no i was gonna say it's awesome and it's just perfectly showing when you think outside the box you mm-hmm. think about how can i get rid of problems how can i serve the people how easy it is to come up with situations yeah why don't you just open that mind of yours <laughs> things come in <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Right. So, so talking with uh, my friend Mike, he we were talking about like the uh, why leasing a Tesla back. I don't know a couple of years ago, the Model Three was a lot easier, and they were more willing to like give more incentives for it. Uh, and now they're not because they're they're just like now it sells itself. And he's like basically the the game. And I haven't read anything about this specifically, but he's like basically the game plan is for all these Tesla Model Threes to come off lease and then convert them into driverless taxis. So like mm. that's why they were like we're gonna build a fleet of like basically bare boat like the low model teslas because we're just going once they come off lease like you know we're gonna have all this money that we've collected from the lease we're gonna have the car and instead of selling the car after the fact we'll just you know rip out the steering wheel install the newest you know hardware software and bam we got ourselves a fleet of driverless taxis that could well, have a video go. playing in it talking about how awesome the teslas are that you should bu- totally buy one buy there one you go. and yeah. if you don't mm-hmm. Tesla doesn't really care because there's like 10 other people waiting to buy one anyway. That's the world we're about to live in. Then they don't have to pay commission. So it's like a partnership with themselves for another company that they will spin off uh, inevitably. to. Sorry, Uber driver, Lyft drivers out there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sorry. A lot of Amazon's delivery drivers and... Oh, well, we don't don't want our world to, you know, to stay still. Otherwise, we'd still be washing in, you know, those big old coppers. So I'm okay for the world to keep moving (laughs) forward, right? (laughs) Yeah, dishwashers. Hello. (laughs) Dishwashers. Should we talk about some different ways that we can do partnerships, maybe in a smaller way to get started? Yeah. People to reach out to. Is that is that yeah? So so I do a lot of I have a lot of promotion partners, uh, people that I work with, and we work together to help promote each other in different ways. So we don't do the same things all the time. We're not we're not just there to be their launch partners to help them launch. We might promote a lead magnet to our audience one week. We might jump into their group and do an expert interview to try and grow their Facebook group, or you know we might promote a lead magnet to our list or to our audience on social media and I think that promotion partners are a really great way to get started and start to understand how when you work together how you can best add value to each other to achieve your outcomes and really that's what it's all about you know what is the outcome you're trying to achieve now so what is the promotion that you're going to help each other with to achieve that outcome and I think that promotion partners are a really great way to get started before you do a really big strategic partnership if it doesn't come naturally to you. Well, I just did one with for Jen earlier today by sharing that the yeah. GP Podfest Thank tickets you. were on sale. You're welcome. I saw that, that actually is getting a lot of like likes. Uh, I know we're actually selling quite a few tickets already. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, that's that. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. And yeah, and you know, the way I see it is it's just more people in the Northeast, most likely, or somewhat likely, uh, that are interested in podcasting and or want mm-hmm. to get into podcasting. So it potentially opens up the door for more people to want to come to 
my conference, your conference, and uh, anybody else in this uh, chat room's conference that <laughs> that, yeah, that might be open to doing one. <laughs> well, there are a lot of passionate podcasters out there and a lot of new podcasters, and they're hungry for information. And, you know, like the dates, my dates might not work for them or the location might not work for them, but Joe's works better. Or maybe they're going to come to both. Gosh, that would be great. That would be um, great. And a lot of people do go to both conferences. Yep. Uh, you know, I know a handful of people that attend both of our conferences and they they don't complain they seem to like it um so yeah that's and maybe and maybe some of those people might want to come to australia and maybe there might be some sort of conference in australia coming up maybe just saying maybe. (laughs) maybe i hope so i hope so that would be great i hear there's no more fires down there so it's not uh so bad absolutely so watch this space watch yes. this space i can't that, wait to make great, an official announcement right yeah i like that i love those promotion partners you know sam i've never formalized something like that but i have casual they're not even agreements it's just kind of like the inner like my inner circle of business friends and we sort of just support each other because we know what that means to each other to have sort mm. of that unsolicited support and i'm so grateful and thankful for it every single time they just so generously support me and I try to return the favor. But I I do like the idea of formalizing something just just to make sure, you know, just have something that's reliable and dependable and something you can plan for. I know with my promotion partners, I speak to them at the same time every week. And I think that it's almost like an accountability buddy in a way in yeah. that we, we're just getting into that habit of what are you doing? How can we support each other? And not just forget about it and six months later see something and share it I think that there's a lot more strategy to it and I love strategy I love geeking out on strategy (laughs) me too me too and I and I love I love this because it you know it builds relationships it's got a very measurable and tangible roi associated with it and again it's just like once you start thinking like that you'll be amazed how quickly your business can grow if you start reaching out and seek are seeking out these really um, amazing partnerships so exciting yeah yeah and think outside this the box of just trying to grow each other's email list i think that that a lot of people think when they're doing a strategic partnership, it's to grow an email list. Yeah. But if you don't ask your partner, what is it that you're challenged by and how can I add value? You won't ever know how you can best add value. So always go into a strategic partnership with an open mind because sometimes yeah. you'll be surprised. I've walked into partnerships thinking I'd be quite willing to do these big things. And they say, I've just got this small problem. If you can solve this, then this would be great. And and done partnerships that were way easier than I thought you know, but by listening, asking and listening. I love what you said about how like, it's not about building your email list. Cause again, the focus is not in the right place. Like think about your customers or potential customers. Like Mm. they don't care that you're growing your email list. Like, how is that? Like, who are you benefiting other than yourself? It can't just Mm. be all about you. It's gotta be about the end user, the end customer. Uh, Ultimately. I mean, I, I always feel very strongly about that. Like think of them first before yourself. Everybody should win. But if you go in the direction of your customer first and then circle into to you and your partner. I mean, looking at, at the goals that you're trying to accomplish. And so 
one of the um one of the great things that Amazon did or they didn't even do it. It's actually so a partnership with Kohl's here. I don't know if you guys have Kohl's down in Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do. So like you can do free Amazon returns for the most part to Kohl's so you don't have to ship the things back. They will audit, they will do the shipping for you. And part of that idea was was that Kohl's like threw out the idea of like okay, let's not use a performance a KPI, you know, key performance indicator of like revenue. Let's look at it from a, a standpoint of foot traffic. How do we get people to just come to our store? And by throwing that out and saying, okay, let's look at partnering up with Amazon and doing all the returns. So everything is on Cole's side. They're paying for the person to like bag the thing up, do the shipping, print the thing, you know, print the label and they're even giving you a coupon for like 25% off and now even like 35% an additional 35% off if you open up like a Kohl's credit card right down the spot or actually not on the spot. Like you have like seven days to use that. So the idea is, is that like, okay, so we're going to look at not how much revenue, but how many feet we can get through the door, how many buys we can get through the door. So, and by doing that, like they have accomplished that goal, like tenfold. I mean, by, I mean, I, I return things all the time to Amazon and it's like, world's easier because Kohl's is like on my way back. Well, that's the key. It was, I think the first thought was how can we make it easier for our customer? Like it it was, it's all in like trying to make it easier for that customer to return things. And it just so happens the byproduct is there's more foot traffic. Yes. Right. So like, yeah, I agree. Cause I had like the Amazon, if you've ever done Amazon returns, they have done multiple things to make it easier. In fact, I had a couple of returns over the holidays and I just had to bring the item to a UPS store. Yeah, I just had to print out like whatever they sent me and I didn't have to package it up. I didn't have to put it in an envelope. I literally just handed it to the UPS employee. I didn't, there was no conversation needed. It looked, took two seconds. It was so easy. And I thought this was, this is amazing that they have streamlined the operations this way so that mm. I'm more likely to shop again at Amazon because the whole process from beginning to end is so convenient. Definite win-win. Yes, win-win-win. Well, yeah, but I mean, Amazon's not paying a dime for it. So it's just for the convenience of their customer base. Yeah. But it goes back to what Jen was saying. It's about how can we create these win-win-wins? And and I think that's a perfect example. No, absolutely. It is is a win-win-win, but it's at the cost of Kohl's staying alive (laughs) through the process of of affording to be able to handle these returns. So I think that my takeaway from that is is that as small business owners, we should be doing strategic partnerships to be able to compete in this world of the giants like Amazon and come together and not think of each other as competitors, but to come together to create these amazing experiences for our future customers and clients. Yes. Couldn't have said it better, Sam. That leads us right into our uh, our one of our news articles for this week, which involves Nintendo, which apparently both of you were like, oh, gaming, like, what is this? I can't believe this. <laughs> Why would Joe do this? Well, other than the fact that this is the, you know, business geeks and the geeks is in the name. I found this article and I wanted to share it about Nintendo's customer service, replace an original Game Boy for a 95 year old. I think it was a lady. It was. Uh, it was yeah. A, a woman. Yep. Yeah. So that is insane because they have not made and Brent's on board with Nintendo. So they have not made the Game Boy. It just says in some time. I'm not sure when the official like they stopped making one because like if you looked at like Sony Walkman, like they were still making them up until just like 
five years ago or six years ago, something like that. Um, I think it was a lot longer. If I can remember in the article, maybe 2003. Is that right? They were still making, well, they, yeah, they might've still been making Game Boys at that point, but they probably weren't like original Game Boys. They were probably like Game Boy Colors or mm, one of the mm, other mm. flavors, newer flavors of Game Boys. But they were able to find one and replaced it all because of the grandson or something was like, oh, they have godlike support. And yeah, they, so they just a, like wrote a letter. Yeah, it was a 95-year-old grandmother that this is a, a Japanese family. And in Japanese, words have different meanings. Yeah. And the the 70-year-old um, daughter. daughter of this 95-year-old grandmother had said to her that, you know, Nintendo has godlike support or divine-like support. And the other meaning for that word in Japanese is paper. So the grandmother thought, I'll write a letter. And a week later, Nintendo had gone into the bowels and the depths of their space to find one of these original Game Boys and sent it to her with a beautiful letter about wishing her a long life. And I just think that is absolutely brilliant Brilliant. customer service. And 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 we're talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, we're talking about it. They've had articles written about it. And can I just say that I love that her game, her game was Tetris. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like she was, she was going hard on Tetris. Like I think she spent decades playing Tetris. I mean, I want to know what her score is. Like how, like how good are you granny? Like agree. I mean, like, come on. Like, and, and, and is there any science backing up that Tetris, you know, extends your lifespan? Absolutely. I mean, is she in a blue zone and is Tetris part of it? <laughs> no, I believe I believe she has passed away now, but I think that the... Oh, yeah, yeah, I lived to 99 and remained in control of oh, mental facilities up until the end. Oh, but, you know, for the she last few years four of her years. life, yeah, yeah she, she had this original Game Boy sent to her. I hope they buried it with her. Yeah. Mm, that's a good, yeah. Okay. No, I think that, that, that we're talking about this because that is absolutely brilliant customer service and yes. big thumbs up to Nintendo on this yeah. one. I'm yeah. so impressed. I'm so mm. impressed with them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad, glad you were uh, happy with the article that I just threw in there. Absolutely. Because <laughs> the two of us kind of went, oh, gaming, really? Well, and I don't think, I don't think geeking is like, Joe, are you saying that because it's the podcast Geeks that gaming is, it has to be like, like geeking is associated with gaming? I mean, I know it, it is. Be. It can be. It, it doesn't, doesn't have, have to be. To be. Okay. No, exactly. No, 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 but we're the business geeks, not the gaming geeks. Like, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a I will find show. more business related gaming articles because there are plenty of them, like NVIDIA. Yeah, yeah, that was a good uh, one. I loved it. Yeah, yeah really good, good one, Joe. Well done. Good, good, good. Thank you. So, what's what's grinding everybody's gears this week? Jen, do you do you want to do you want to? Jen has to start this. It's almost like sponsored by Sparen. I reckon this episode. I'm not. I'm not doing um, any favors to our brand. I think I'm just making Sparen sound really cranky. <laughs> Do you seriously not, you don't have a grind your gears this week again? No, because I didn't, because I saw you two did. And, you know, we've got to, we've got to make sure we finish in an hour. So I I've got one, but let me just say this. This is a very risky one for me because I have friends and business people that I respect who, who just disagree with me. And they may even think that I like what I'm about to say I don't like. No, I know what you're about to talk about. And I'm going to put up my hand and say, 
<sighs> you and I don't agree on this one. Okay, okay that's please, fine. Jen, go that's ahead. Fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that this is not the first or the last time, but what grinds my gears, and I'm sorry, friends who believe in this, vision boards. If I hate vision boards i don't believe in them i don't think they're helpful i think it's a waste of time i think it's putting off action by it's it's literally taking a glue stick and putting a picture of a ferrari on a piece of cardboard it's not working and there is science that backs me up okay a 2011 study published in the journal of experimental social psychology found that fantasizing about an idealized future actually decreases the likelihood that someone will expend the energy to turn that fantasy into a reality okay so positive thinking only works when it's combined with positive action so if you put that lamborghini on your vision board your brain has a reaction as if you've already had the lamborghini you'll experience a relaxation response but that reduces your energy and decreases your motivation to take action Put the glue and sticks away. <laughs> and no this is where we allowed. don't agree because <sighs> I'm going to jump in because I'm so the opposite of this. Oh, my God. I, this, I think this might be the first time that Sam and I really drastically disagree. <laughs> uh, the right just on the calendar. <laughs> okay. Well, well, exactly. Brett, Brett wants to know what a vision board is. I should not have assumed what that people know. A vision board is like a board. And then typically when I've seen it done, it's like they spread a bunch of magnets magazines out on the table, you take scissors, you cut out pictures that represent your goals, your desires, your ideal lifestyle, how you want your life to look like. And then you cut out those pictures and you put your glue stick on the back and you stick them on a board. And that's supposed to serve as inspiration, motivation. Science says it doesn't work. I just proved that. To get your idealized life. I say, I want to see somebody's vision board with a Ferrari, a yacht, a beach, a laptop. I want to see that a kitty with a pearl necklace. I want to see that vision board come to life. Prove me wrong. Well, that is me. So I think that vision boards are fantastic. For her, and Brent said it beautifully. Isn't it a great brainstorming tool? It absolutely is. Helps you get very clear on what it is that you want. But the only thing I agree with is we don't just put a picture on the wall and leave it there. The, the vision board serves as a reminder of this is where we're heading so we know the actions to take along the way. If I didn't have my vision board, I wouldn't be living the life I'm living because I got very clear on what it is I wanted. I knew exactly what I wanted my house to look like. I knew exactly what I wanted my car to be. And all of the things that have been on my vision board, I have made happen. So I really, really, really love vision boards. However, can I put the caveat? You must take action. You can't lie under a tree That's and dream of a about. Ferrari. It's not just going to come. But okay, well, I'm everybody, a big everybody's agreeing with you. Okay, Eric, Brent, Eric. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but no. Like, it's just dreaming without doing. Okay, Sam is different. She's a different animal. She's not going to do a vision board without the action board attached to it she's got a plan associated <laughs> with it most people that i know do vision boards it is just like you know fantasy land yeah not fantasy land eric's like the vision should be reachable yeah no no I mean, no and i've read napoleon hill's book thank you very much i read a lot <laughs> oh we've gone down a rabbit hole <laughs> you know what i'm not looking for people to agree with me 
It's all it's all good. It's uh, all good. And and Jen, I would still love to be your friend if you have me. I'll put you on my vision We're friends board. forever. We're friends forever. <laughs> friends forever. And you know, you you know, you've made a vision board happen, which I don't think I bet that happens less than one percent of the time. Probably less than point zero one percent of the time. I'm just saying probably rather than glue stick some pictures on a board, why don't you walk out your door and do something to make your dreams happen? So nice. I, I see I'm worth somewhere in between because like I, I just like safe make space. I make the, <laughs> I like to make lists. So like I'm not and, and my lists don't necessarily include well, definitely don't include Ferraris and things like that because I'm not paying ten thousand dollars for an oil change or oil at all now because I got an electric car. Woo! So yeah, but Woo! uh I think that there is a middle ground there as far as figuring out what it is that you want your your life to look like and, and making those lists. I I mean I wouldn't go and buy a bunch of magazines or print out a bunch of pictures and then stick them to a board that that's just not how I operate. But I think it's really, it is important to get clear and make those lists of like what you want your life to look like and how, and then figure out like, okay, how can I make that happen? I mean, I could rent a Ferrari. I, I actually would see myself doing that before spending the money to buy one but okay unless I, unless I was in the collecting and then I think it's it's a perfectly healthy habit to have well yeah I mean it's just extreme and Brent <laughs> wants me to try building software without a whiteboard I'm not talking about whiteboards I'm talking about vision boards <laughs> I'm not talking about mapping out an action plan and Brent's like we're business geeks WWE style I think it's a great conversation. I think it's great to see other perspectives. <laughs> now I've made him feel bad. Now he's apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you're apologize. forgiven, Brent. You're this, forgiven. This is safe enough space. You don't have to apologize for having an opinion here. <gasps> Absolutely. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sweating again because I always sweat when I do my grinding the gears because I get so worked up. I, I'm going to put my grinding the gears off till next week. <laughs> So we each have yes. one this week. Yes, and, uh, we do. I definitely want to talk about mine because I, I just started watching this show called McMillions, which is all about how there was, you know, you know, the McDonald's and the Monopoly. It kind of goes synonymous. Well, apparently somebody was scamming the system. They, every single like millionaire winner was was related to each other in some oh. way shape or form yeah so like, I, this is on hbo apparently mark Wahlberg is one of the executive producers of this like six-part documentary i just started watching it it's on the hbo it's like they got fbi people like it, it's this whole that's a serious crime web. I, yeah i haven't heard about this i figured that would be big news well there's a reason there hasn't been one since i think oh one was the last one and they conducted oh. it and it's a little bit of a spoiler i've only watched the first episode but they, they conducted the 2001 one one, knowing that there was somebody scamming it, but they didn't know who, and they basically set up a sting to find out who, who was it. And I don't know because not even all the episodes are out yet. Only like four of the first, the first four episodes of I believe six are out. So it's called McMillions. It definitely is very interesting. The lead FBI guy in it is hilarious. He's like super down to earth, like wacky, crazy guy who's like because he was like twenty some years old when he when this was all happening. Now he's like late, maybe late forty but he's just a, like a he's like the cop you would expect on like the tv show you know the tv show yeah. cop, not like the wow. 
no. I'm an FBI agent and like got black suit, black tie. And it's just like, they're like, oh, we had this make this meeting with McDonald's. And Dave is walking in with a gold suit with a white shirt on, like gold to- to- top to bottom. Had a whole gold, like crazy wow. guy. So wow. super Sounds interesting. Fun. And check it out. Can't wait to watch the rest of it and find out awesome. what the heck happened to my mon- Monopoly McDonald's. Yeah, yeah hang on. Just, like are you saying that really? you don't have Monopoly McDonald's in the US anymore? Not since apparently 2000. Not since we ruined it, apparently. Oh, wow. Well, we must be better down under because we still have it every year. Ah, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. What's your one cool thing, Sam? So my one cool thing is not very geeky, but hopefully this makes you all want to come to Australia. I'm in Adelaide at the moment, which is this little tiny city down right in the south of Australia. And during March, like the end of February, early March, so the weather's still fantastic down here because we're coming off the back of our summer, we have an event called the Adelaide Fringe Festival. I say we like I own it, even though I live in Sydney, I don't own it. (laughs) However, this is the reason that Leon and I have spent the month in Adelaide because this festival is fantastic. It's got thousands and thousands of acts over the course of the month from comedy shows to dance and cabaret and all sorts of different shows. There's literally thousands of them all around the city, constantly running every day and every night. There's certain acts for that sh- shows for children and, and adults. And they've got in the middle of the city, they've turned one of the parklands into a big um, like festival garden called the Garden of Unearthly Delights. And you go in there and they have these tents set up like old school, you know, circus and you can go and pay five dollars and watch these like really crazy you know kooky shows and you can go and get all food and drink and it's like lights everywhere so you have to come wow. to adelaide one year in february and march and come to the adelaide fringe festival that, that sounds awesome. amazing and totally something that i would love i love it is, live entertainment i love plays i love musicals I if love you love watching if you love people watching jen you will love it i do <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very quirky (laughs) and cool. (laughs) Wow. If only it were closer. (laughs) That's okay. We had closer. There's there's these things that we invented somewhere along the way called planes. You know, you can get Uh, in them. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think we invented them. Uh, (laughs) I don't know who invented them, but they're crazy. That wasn't me invented planes. You you can fly here. (laughs) They are crazy. Crazy. My one cool thing is a Chrome extension that I just, I use it all the time. It's called Colorzilla. And you are going to use this a lot if you're like me and you're constantly Mm -hmm. creating images and you want them to be consistent and you don't know what color. It has a little eyedropper so you can, you know, click on any, any image and it'll bring up the the hex code and the RB, RBG, mm-hmm, form, mm-hmm. you know, and automatically save it to your clipboard. So then you can just paste that into Canva because that's, I think, what most people are using these days mm-hmm. to create images and then get the exact same color matches. So for me, I use this like for my event images or if we have to create an image for a client, we want to match, you know, a color for, from their brand and or from other images, then it's just a, a super easy way to do it. And it, it saves your picked color history also. So it's just like a quick reference. So you can see all of the, the colors you've used in the past and like quickly grab them. Um, it has 
has some other, you know, bells and whistles too, but I love it. I thought it qualified for one cool thing because I was trying to think of things that I use all the time that I, I take for granted that are wonderful and it's free. And mm. um, I'm so glad that it's it's there on a daily I basis. I just want to say one thing because this is my all-time favorite Chrome extension. It is? Oh, oh my goodness. I use this so much. However, yeah. um, upgraded my Mac at the end of last year, upgraded my new operating system, and now every time I download Colorzilla, it completely overrides all of my settings. And like I have all these weird browsers opening up, and what? I forgot. And yesterday I downloaded Colorzilla again because I was doing a project, and now it's all crazy again. Really? So I, I don't know wow. if it's specifically – I've got some sort of virus, Trojan, I don't know, or if it's the app on this operating system, but just just be a little bit aware it could take over oh your gosh. computer. See, it's the advantage of having an old Mac Mini on my desk. <laughs> it is the best Chrome extension ever. I love I, this one. Oh, I love it so much. It sounds better than the one that I use, which is the Color Picker Eyedropper, which or Color Pick Eyedropper extension. It sounds very similar. Yeah, I know, it but does ha- the same- sounds so much better because it sounds so much more robust. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. It does. I do like the Colorzilla name. Uh, I mean, this has 900,000 plus users and basically all it does is it puts like a thing up there and you can just click on it and then you just highlight over any anything in it like, yeah. like this. Uh, if I just refresh and pick it, color picker, boom, like any color it shows you, I click on it and I can just copy Right from there. Now, it does I don't think it's as robust as Colorzilla, where you were saying like you could save colors and things of that nature. But if you're having an issue with Colorzilla, there's another option there's out another there. One. That yeah. is also free. I haven't compared it to others. I've just been I've been happy with this one so far. So, mm. well, I think that concludes our show. Am I right? Yeah, I, th- I think we that does wrap, right. wrap up uh, Business Geeks Podcast WWE edition. And uh, <laughs> I want to I want to give a special shout out to Eric and Brent. Yes. Thank you Thank so much you. for the feedback and, and for coming Eric. and hanging out, everybody. We are live every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or I don't know. What's it, what's Australian Which Eastern is time? Wednesday, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And if, if you want to get any of the podcast, you know, episodes, past episodes, you can go to businessgeekspodcast.com and get all the past episodes, subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcast, I don't know, all the podcast places. All the that podcast places. Probably, most likely, uh, all the podcast places that you will probably try to go to. Everybody, I hope you all have a great week. We'll be back next week. Have a great week and talk to you next Tuesday. Next Thanks, Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Thank you.